Welcome to the first episode of Applied Thought, where an armchair philosopher is trying to spread critical thinking one issue at a time. I'm your host, Jordan Claveria, not live in New York City. I'm here today with my good friend, Matthew Malloy. Um, Matt, want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. Hey, Jordan. Uh, hey, everybody listening. Um, my name is Matthew, Matt Malloy. Either one's fine with me. Uh, I recently graduated from University of Montana and am kind of on a soul searching slash touring graduate schools slash just kind of like goofing around on the east coast right now i've never been out here before so i'm like couch surfing in new york city uh staying with a friend from middle school right now and then i'm moving on to boston tomorrow and dc in a week uh so i'm really gonna get, and i'm gonna see philadelphia and baltimore along the way too so i'm, I'm really kind of just you know checking out the east coast and i don't really have any career plans i'm kind of just like you know just a not a bum, but like definitely just kind of a floater right now, uh, reading a lot and uh, really trying to like do what this podcast is, is preaching uh, of kind of like, you know, using my critical thinking and thinking about a lot of thoughts that I haven't had time to think about while I was in college. All right, cool, cool. So let's begin with the what's happening segment where we just begin with saying what's happening this week. So Matt, you mentioned briefly that you're in New York and you're kind of just couch surfing anything else going on anything else happening what is happening i i mean i've seen a lot of great things since i've been out in new york that things that you know you see in movies you see in tv shows and it's just kind of a a thing in your imagination but now i've actually put reality to it uh something that was happening i went and saw the empire state state building like four or five days ago dude it's pretty cool it was a little under was a little underwhelmed, honestly. It was cool. Like I saw it at night, and the lights were going off. And you know, when you compare it to the the Freedom Tower, like uh, it's it's a lot smaller. It feels a lot smaller. It just is, mm. it doesn't have like the the overwhelming presence like I thought it would have. Um, but it was still a really cool building, and I'm really into kind of architecture and like urban life. And so was super excited to see it. But I was just a little surprised that like. You know, it was a little bit shorter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think New York City has really impressive architecture. And I also think that the Empire State Building has not aged as well. Yeah, I think I like the Chrysler Building better than the Empire State Building in that regard. Okay, okay. It, hmm. But, you know, they're both similar architecture styles. But I would also agree the Empire State Building hasn't aged quite as well. It was still super impressive, though, because, you know, it was built in something like it was under built under a year. I don't know if it was built in six months, but I feel like I read that somewhere oh. in the nineteen in nineteen thirty two. Pretty impressive that they were able to do that in nineteen thirty two and in just a short, like way shorter of a time span than uh, we build buildings today. So yeah. I was still impressed, but less impressed by its stature. Yeah, it's pretty cool. New York City has a lot of cool buildings like that. Um, I guess I'll go on to what's my happening, unless you want to talk about that more. Uh. No, I want to hear about what you're happening. I don't always just talk about myself. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I'm I'm actually really scared of that happening in this podcast where I talk too much. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make sure that everyone has a chance to speak. I don't want this to be like Jordan dictatorship time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a different podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my uh, what's happening is so I recently met um this person and. So it's this weird phenomenon that's been happening where I get into debates with people, not willingly, where they're like, oh, you're good at debating. Let's debate something. How oh, funny. I debate them. And then I win the debate. And then they call me arrogant. Okay. It's really frustrating to me to just like go into a debate and be like, well, explain your opinion and explain to me why you're wrong. And then they can't do it. And they're like, you're arrogant. <laughs> You know, I was I was listening to a audiobook about Adlerian psychology and it was framed in a way and it's the first audiobook I've listened to like this where oh, congratulations. there's like yeah, uh there's a old professor, like philosopher type person talking with a young student and basically the young student keeps calling out the old professor for being arrogant. And I know you've like I know you've uh, looked into Adlerian psychology yeah. and that's something that, you know, it, it stuck out to you and you've applied some aspects of it. We haven't talked about it in depth yet, but you've applied some aspects to your life. And 
maybe it's just the fact that you have like similar beliefs as the old philosopher has that maybe since you're so confident in what you know, people do like can take that as an arrogance or as a like uh, a stubbornness or something like that, that uh, it's just, just like a trait, maybe it's a trait of your personality that once you kind of bring out like how you think about ideas, people are going to say, oh, I don't think about ideas that way. So I'm going to say you're arrogant. Yeah, I, I get that. It's just frustrating because I looked at the definition of arrogance <laughs> and arrogance has to be an exaggerated sense of self. Yeah. And if I'm right, there's no exaggeration. So it's not arrogant. And that's like my only, it's like a purely grammatical issue. <laughs> you just be like, oh, you're pretentious or masturbatory in what you say. Yeah. You call me arrogant because it's not correct. <laughs> That's actually funny. I had I had not thought. I I also think about arrogance. I don't. I hadn't thought about arrogance in that way of, of the word. That's interesting. But yeah, you're right. You guess like you couldn't be technically arrogant. You could be one of the other things. Yeah. Maybe you should just. Maybe you should correct them and tell them to call you pretentious instead. Uh, that would probably you know that probably make them feel really good and <laughs> probably call you arrogant again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd be a smugness with me talking about that. Yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty fun. Um, so let's go on to our uh, main segment. Um, we talked about how we want to do dating markets, but I have a special title for this because I'm okay. a philosophy podcast. We need pretentious naming for all okay. the segments. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what draws people in. Yeah, yeah. Pretentiousness and arrogance. It's exactly what people want. Um, <laughs> so what I named our topic today is a meta-analysis of dating. Can love exist in a dating market? All right. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I actually think it's pretty clever. I'd write a thesis about this. Like, I'd actually uh-huh. my dissertation on this paper. Um, yeah. Are we qualified to talk about this at a PhD level? Probably not. But, you know, we're going to give it our armchair, our armchair uh, try, right? Yeah, it's an armchair philosophy. You know, I actually think <laughs> PhD is just gatekeeping. Well, yeah. Academic qualifications, especially with something as mundane as, like, can love exist in a dating market? It's a gatekeeping thing. And I hold uh, the gates wide open, and I can come on in. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. <laughs> I, I'm loving that I, the philosophy for this podcast. I disagree about the PhD thing to <laughs> some extent. Some say I agree with you, but that's a whole another topic. Maybe we're gonna have to record another podcast about that. Next time I bring you on the show, we can talk about whether or not academia is just like gatekeeping. It was just yeah. like monopoly on knowledge. Yeah, I'm. I have. I'm sure we'll have some good things to talk about there after visiting. I visited Columbia and NYU, and I think, I think we'll, we'll have some interesting things to talk about. But anyways, let's okay. get to the, the thing that you want to talk about today. Okay, so to begin with, because um, this is technically a meta-analysis, I wanted to first ask your opinion. We you know, both have backgrounds in economics. You both have bachelor's degree in economics. You also have a bachelor's mm-hmm. in statistics. So I, I don't want to get into really technical economics terms because I feel like that just will confuse people. So we can use like minimal terms, very big yeah. terms. But my first question is, do you agree that a dating market does exist? I would say, I would say that you can look at, at humans dating and organize it in a way that like an economist could organize it in a way that it is a market. And that that can be a useful tool to looking at it. It has limitations for sure. And there's some ways that if you make like the, the social construct of dating into a market setting, you're going to lose some, you know, important pieces of it. But I think, yeah, you can frame it as a market, uh, whether or not like it, it's definitely not the same kind of market as like the stock market or as like, you know, a commodities market, but it definitely, you definitely can draw some parallels. And uh, yeah, I think that it's a useful tool at some, for some extent. Okay, so you think it's like um, that it's kind of just a model, but a model with a lot of limitations. Yes, and I think that especially when you get down to like people's preferences and how they, how they match up, it's not always as clear cut as, uh, as like a traditional market where you have the price that you're willing to pay. You know, there's some flexibility in the dating market and some you know, inherent subjectivity that it's just like, it's just too complicated and too wide, too wide of options in order to model that. Uh, I can't remember the. There, I've actually read an article about like an economist's view on the dating market, and he used 
a different term for it, but basically just like your subjective preferences. There's some things that like only certain people in society find attractive. And there's some things that the whole society finds as attractive. And if you go down to those personal preferences, those can be really difficult to model. Well, isn't that basically every other market though? Like some people find cheeseburgers really good. Some people really hate cheeseburgers. Like, is it really that different? It's like a monopolistic competition market. You're right. Like you can, like as an economist, you can see those kind of, uh, you can see those similarities, but it's different because you have a chooser, like, right. You have, you're both choosing and you're being selected. The cheeseburger is not being selected. It's not being, it's not have a choice in who it goes to, you know, um, uh, so you think it's so, both your demand and a supplier. Exactly. So as you, since you're in the role as both a demand and supplier and your preferences, first of all, you have to have like, both parties have to consent to dating. So like, like ideally in a, in a model, right? Yeah. Uh, so just because you might see somebody else as more attractive than they are, they might not necessarily match you up that way. And so you get this weird cross, like if you were to rank people on just their like societal, their like, you know, their, their, their average ranking across society and their attractiveness, like you would get a weird matchup of, of people based on those uh, subjective preferences. And, it, it just gets messy. It, it is, I would say, it's not necessarily the simplest way to look at a, at dating. Well, couldn't that just be similar to a labor market? Like we have employers, and then we also have workers, and it's a very similar setup where you have it, to both agree to work. Yeah, it it could be, and I think that that's probably the closest uh, type of model to uh, what you're looking at when you're when you say up a dating model. And yeah, I think it is a useful tool, and I think there are some limitations where things get, you know, kind of messy and where it doesn't tell the full story. But uh, yeah, I think that you could make a labor, you could derive something from like labor markets and apply it with some assumptions to dating markets. And I think you could do a pretty good job of kind of telling a story there. Okay. Um, so that then leads me to my next question is what is driving the demand for this market then? Oh, Okay. Um, yeah. that is build question. It is a very complex question, but we're here. Yeah, that's a loaded that. question. Well, oof, okay. I don't know how deep you want to go here. We can go like, as deep as you want. Right. I don't know how deep I am. I don't know how deep I'm capable of going, but obviously there's like an evolutionary aspect to finding a partner in that sense, and if we're talking about just heterosexual relationships, right? Yeah. Um, but there's got to be more to it than just an evolutionary sense. Uh, there's definitely I think a there's... logical sense, right? Yes. And, and, and... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say explain, explain with that. Oh, explain I was that. thinking – so I was thinking about this a lot because I've we kind of been planning this topic. Um, and I kind of narrowed it down to two major competing factors, right? And I'm mm-hmm. just as a dating market in general, because I kind of, this is a model, so we're kind of simplifying it, and no offense, but we're kind of excluding, we're kind of making this very normative in a sense, you know? Yeah, I think there's so no way I, that you can not make it normative if you're yeah. trying to make a model, you know? I don't know if I want to necessarily, well, I guess we could throw in, like, child rearing and being a parent, but my question was, is that whether or not people are in this market to fall in love or to get a relationship. Mm, okay. Does that, I made like a minor distinction between the two. And mm-hmm. so the question is like, do you actually want to establish this intimacy and the connection with another person? Or do you just want to like feel butterflies? And what do you, what do you think about that? Oh, well, wait. So do you, do you feel like the, the butterflies and the intimacy are two different things? I think to some degree there, I guess it's better to describe what I'm trying to say as do people want to fall in love or are they infatuated with the idea of love? And that's mm-hmm. what's driving the labor, the love market or the dating market. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this once before. I remember uh, I don't know how much a couple months ago into, but yeah, I remember that. And I think that, so that that definitely kind of separates from dating a little bit because you're like 
the way we kind of glorify love in one sense, like you can look at movies for an example, like, or especially Disney movies, like how we like show love to kids. It's very romanticized, very idealist, like person like head over heels falls in love with another person and they end up. And obviously there's a lot of like normative, like societal, like, you know, they put, they, they, they really make it generic, but head over heels and and i think a lot of people do want to feel that way and it's an elusive feeling because it's such you know it's perfection you know you can't make it like you make it in the movies and it's almost like it a maybe platonic s- form type deal a what a platonic no. form no. um it's like a, so plato had this whole idea that there's certain things called forms and it's like the most tree like tree so like there's a form of everything oh yes yeah and this is like the truest love is in a movie and everything we have around us is just imitating it yeah so you're since you're trying to yeah replicate that tree it's elusive and it's more of just like you're trying to like get to that feeling right of Mm -hmm. the tree that you see in the movies or the feeling of love that you see in the movies and the other way is to actually like develop a level of intimacy with a partner regardless of kind of societal expectations and norms is that like kind of how you would describe the other aspect of it yeah kind of like do you actually want to make a connection with a person or do you want someone to kind of fulfill societal norms like i'm thinking there's a lot of different social groups like coming in and now that like online dating and just online communities are more active like if you go on Reddit, there's so many groups. There's like incels, uh, men going their own way, female dating strategists, um, just all these kind of people who want to enter a relationship for all these various reasons, and they can't do it for some reason. And, and I kind of am like, what, what is driving this demand? Do these people actually want to have love? like want to stop being a celibate or have a question or find um in female dating strategy this is a group of people they call it a uh, high valued men and they yeah. themselves like high valued women so that like legitimately is a market right there like they view right. it as an economy yeah and i was thinking is that is that indicative that they don't want love and they actually just want someone to kind of provide them with a service similar to a relationship I would say, I would say, yeah, in a lot of those situations, can't speak for like people individually, but yeah, I think that a lot of that is probably driven by just like the desire for a relationship. And I, I felt that way before. I, I, I felt the way where I've wanted just like someone to have that relationship, romantic relationship role with me. Oh, um, I, I, yeah, I think that's a common feeling. And so some people, you know, like we kind of reach an age in our society where like it's kind of expected of you to be in a relationship or like to be like kind of getting serious, you know, is is yeah. like around your 30s, especially into your 40s that like if you haven't settled down with somebody kind of like are you like mature? Like it becomes like a whole thing about how other people look at you, about how like you see yourself in the world. And maybe like when you re- reach that age, like something changes inside of you where you want that too. Maybe it has um, kind of a genetic implication too, but I do think that there's a lot. There is like a market in that sense of you want someone to fill that role for you, but I think that that is derived more of a like whether it's societal pressure or whether it's like our own like personal conundrum that we have a hard time being single in the world and being single from in a romantic sense and seeing that as as bad and and that's what derives a lot of those feelings that's interesting because i think outside of the social setting i think being single is the easiest option yeah i actually i i agree with you i think it's a lot less work and definitely it's and but i don't think that it's possible for and this is kind of a this is a a long we a long segment of the podcast if we went to this but like i think that people need other people in their lives for like emotional support for um you know connections to like move up in the world um just for like you know 
I, I, I really believe in the power of friendship and mm-hmm. a lot of times relationship, romantic relationships develop from friendships or um, develop into friendships once you get to know the person more. Definitely. And those can be like one of the strongest friendships you have. And I think it's possible that like with a strong sense of community around you to be single and have those needs met. And, and I think that's an elusive an elusive uh what's the word i'm looking for just like an elusive feeling for a lot of people that having that community around them and so then that kind of drives you to what's the easiest way to like stop being lonely and not having a community around you is to get one person that's like tidy romantically and can fill all those roles that you need you know so Mm. i think if you if we started to value like community a little more and like the power of friendships and family and like, you know, just strong social ties around you um, for support for whatever that support is needed for um, the need to have that romantic relationship role would diminish. And then it would kind of be more like what you were talking about where people would actually search out for like intimacy and uh, you know, like some, it wouldn't be as a search for a role. It'd be a search for a person. So you think that the driving force is actually a deeper loneliness that people have. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I think I actually I think I could buy into that. I think people are very lonely and people don't I think it's very hard to make genuine friends and genuine connections. I, I think agree. it's a challenge. Um and it's a lot of work to maintain it, especially since people move all the time. Like um me and you we're from Montana and now I'm out in New York and now you're going, you're leaving to Boston tonight, right? Yeah. 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 We're, you're all over the place and I'm all over the place and people are just living all these lies and then they have 40 hours of work or 40 hours work weeks every day or every week. They have yeah. so many things going on that actually making a connection and being able to feel important is a real challenge. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, you would agree that they're not actually necessarily looking for love an actual intimacy they're more looking for someone to meet their needs i think for a lot of especially if you start to view dating as a market and transactional a lot of the times those people that see that tool as useful are yeah trying to meet needs however that could develop into love and maybe they don't even see it as like they probably don't even see it as like they're just trying to meet needs they probably do see it as searching for love but they might be misguided in what that love actually like looks and feel like. And I, it's hard for me to speak to that because I've never been in love romantically. So mm. I'm speaking as like a total novice here. I don't know. Like maybe that, once you've been in, in love. How, how have you not been in love? How have I not been in love? Because, and I thought a lot about this. I think, well, I mean, my own personal journey in dating was, uh, it, it took a long time for me to become comfortable in myself and, like be open to dating and, and and just confident enough to like approach to approach girls in 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 that kind of way you know mm-hmm. um so it took a long time for me to be confident in the first place and then i also think that just like this like the value of having strong people around like strong connections around you a strong community i i have that i'm i'm really fortunate that i have some really great friends that i can lean on when i like times are tough and that I can talk about like my life with and like where I think I'm going, my purpose, you know, I can talk about those kind of things. And since I get all those, like those needs that I need met for my friends, I really haven't had the need to kind of search out a romantic relationship. And I, as sometimes I've kind of avoided it right now, I'm open to it, but uh, it's not something that I, it's not something that I like have actively been searching out. Yeah, that that makes sense. You're you're also a pretty busy dude. I know. Um, I remember when we were in college together, you were impossible to find. <laughs> and that's kind of sad to say because I was your RA. That's true. That's true. You were my RA, and yeah, you were always out and doing something. So it makes sense that you had this very strong community and this very strong sense of belonging at the university. Um, so I think I think we kind of fleshed out kind of the driving forces: this loneliness as well as this need for kind of emotional validation, right? Yeah, yeah. And so my next question, and the next thing I want to talk about is kind of the so what of this. Like, 
so what if we have a dating market where people don't actually want to fall in love was dating and relationships ever even about that like is marriage should marriage even be or relationships be about whether or not you love the other person or whether or not they can meet your needs adequately can we is it possible to link to like add a link to the description of this podcast when we're done uh yeah at the end of it we can plug social media stuff or well you love I, talk about citations okay i have a, a podcast and a ted talk from the same person that i've listened to about that like similar question mm-hmm. and can you like reframe it again just so i like make sure i'm answering it right so it's kind of like um does it matter whether or not people enter relationships or seek out relationships for love or to meet their needs i don't think it matters actually i think I think love is a rare concept. I don't think like, I think we make it out in this world that everybody finds love. I can, if we worked on it, I bet we could name five movies in the next minute about that concept, about everybody finding love at some point, like whether or not you're the busiest or the loneliest or the, like literally the hunchback of, of Notre Dame, you know, like literally like everybody finds love. And, and that's like a kid's movie. Like we're teaching kids at this, at a young age, everybody finds love. And I think that's not always the case. And, and it, even if it is like, it's not always for life. And that's a really rare feeling to have to just find love for life for it to be because like you change over time. So if, if you and your loved one, like are really growing the same direction, then yeah, sure. It's possible. And that's great. That's gotta be one of those beautiful, like human interactions ever of like having that love for life. But like, sometimes you grow in different directions. Sometimes you need different things. Like you need, you know, yeah, you just need different things. And it, it's, it's rare. I think love is rare. And really what I think drives a lot of people's motivations is to have a strong community around them. And your romantic partner can be part of that community. And they don't have to fill every box. And love does not have to be one of the boxes that they fill. Mm. See, I strongly disagree with you, and I'm happy that we disagree on this. <laughs> yeah, we've agreed on most of the things we've talked yeah. about so far. But this this is going to be pretty fun. So I'm going to begin with saying that if you don't love the person, you shouldn't enter a relationship with them. And the reason why I disagree is because you can get all your needs met in other ways, except love. So why would you ever enter a relationship without love? Okay, I'm thinking about what you're saying right now. Yeah, so that's kind of like my starting point. And I think if you begin a relationship without love and just because, oh, this person meets five out of ten of my needs, A, I think that's kind of uh, that's kind of using someone. That's kind of like, that's almost dehumanizing and objectifying them, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And then the other thing is that I think it's just a bad strategy to get your needs met. You know, okay. there's just so many If you have all these other options really like if I had 10 friends that are really close or one really romantic relationship where I meet like seven of my needs, but not all of them. It's better to have those 10 friends than that one relationship. And, oh, wait, and in the, in, in the one relationship, you don't have love. Yeah. And the reason why okay. is that if you meet someone else who can meet more of your needs than this person, you'll leave. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like this constant, like, let's trade up. Let's, like, keep kind of, like, climbing a social ladder. Sure. And I think that's just a not efficient way of life. Right? Like, there's better things you can do to get your needs met than social climbing through dating. Does that lead to, is adultery one of the like worst things in your perspective um i think it's pretty bad i think it's yeah. pretty i think i don't think it's okay i think it's very harmful to people but like just because it's harmful to people that doesn't make necessarily make it wrong um uh-huh. but I, I i don't believe in adultery i think if you commit adultery you there's something wrong with you right right i feel like okay you could end a relationship you know much easier than yeah okay i i think i I think it's cowardly to commit adultery i have different views about adultery 
but I think that'll have to like wait down the road before we get into that. So oh, go ahead. You can do any any way you want. Yeah. So okay. First thing, a question for you: Like, do you feel like when you enter into a relationship, do you only like do you only enter in a relationship once you feel the feeling of love? Oh, I don't even ask out a girl unless I'm interested. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, but you you don't ask out a girl unless you're in love with her already. I have to have some kind of infatuation. That's not love. Yeah, yeah, but like I have to think that I can go to love. If that makes sense. Okay. So you have to see that there's still a path to loving that person. Yeah. I have to think this person has a high likelihood of me falling in love with them. And does this model only work with friend with, with romantic relationships or does it also apply to like friendships for like a different kind of love? Oh, for more like a friendship love. Yeah. I think it applies the same. If I meet someone who I want to be friends with and I'm like, I don't think I could ever like really care about this person. I probably won't be friends with them. Okay. Though also okay. the deciding factor of my, like my inner circle is whether or not they prove me wrong a lot. So like uh-huh. that's why you're in my inner circle, Matt. Like I feel like you proved me wrong a few times, and I'm like, I like I like talking to you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. I thought you meant I proved you wrong, as then you didn't think that you'd be open to loving me, and then I proved you wrong. <laughs> I thought uh, that's what you meant. <laughs> no, no, we've had some good conversations. You you've changed my views a couple times. But, oh, well, that's good to hear. Um, hopefully I can about this one too. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> well, then, see, the, now I think that I might just be, like, misguided or have a – because I've never felt the romantic love before. So I don't – like, I, this is, like, always the thing that I always wrestle with. Is I don't know. I have, like, friendship love with, like, my closest friends, right? I have, a, like, really strong bond. How different is the feeling for romantic love? Like – is is it much different? Is it very similar? Like, I don't know. And maybe you can tell me because I think you've some. There's someone that's been romantically in love before, but like yeah. because of that, like I've never felt romantic love. I can't compare it, and I can't quite like solidify my theory without knowing that. You know, I think at its basis, in my experience, the main major difference is how much commitment I have mm-hmm. to the person. Like, if I was in a romantic relationship with someone and they're like i'm moving to colorado i have to move with them you know okay like i have this obligation to depending on like what level of intimacy we are like we're like five years together i'm probably gonna move with them um if it's like six months probably not but um okay that's that's good to know yeah yeah it's a good frame of reference (laughs) yeah um but there's like this commitment there and i think to some degree after a certain point when like the butterflies wear off and you get very comfortable, it's like a really, really strong friendship that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. I also think a lot of people, um, there's this thing in psychology, it's called a misattribution of arousal. Mm-hmm. And what this means is that there's like five or six physiological ways that people can tell their emotions. Right. Right. So or maybe more than five or six, but there's a limited number of how many emotions you can actually experience physiologically. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's very common to feel something and mistake it as a different emotion. Um, the most famous one is the suspension bridge effect, where basically you go onto a suspension bridge and you go on with this, like a pretty girl you see and you mistake the fear of falling mm, right. bridges, love and attraction to that person. Uh-huh. There's some interesting studies supporting this, um, mainly from like the 80s, I think, or maybe the 60s right. sometime. But there's like, there's some science backing it. And because of that, I think to some degree, a lot of people don't accurately identify their own love. And I don't know if people can identify love accurately, but in my own experience, I think it's very similar to a really, really close and intense friendship. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, okay. So, okay. I wish I had been writing down what you were saying before so I could, like, directly address those points as you were making them. Mm-hmm. But basically, so my perspective was that you – like you don't necessarily need love, right? Like that's what we like how we got into this conversation. Sure. Was that okay? So, like as your like kind of baseline of that 
if you're like romantically in love with somebody, somebody that you would like move across the country with, I think that you can have that. Uh, I think you can have that same feeling towards a friendship mm-hmm. and I, and your community. Like I moved to the university of Montana to go to school to kind of get away from like family, like try out my own, a new path, you know? Mm-hmm. And the reason I considered moving back to Seattle after I graduated is because I had more people around me there and all those people around me were there to support me and uh you know and emotionally and like in just like in my path through my like to finding a career right so I had that emotional support around me that those like 10 like family members and close friends made up the made up the effect of like a girlfriend basically like I the reason I, I I still am kind of like right now I'm taking a tour of the east coast like couch surfing like i have like an adventurous independent nature but mm-hmm. i want those people i have those people in my corner like those people are the people i want to have around me like for the near future for sure and they make up the effect of a relationship for me so i guess what i was saying is that since like if a girlfriend were to come into the picture while i was living in seattle they would not take over the full effect of those friends like they would be one of those many people of those friends and family that are there for me. And I don't think it's healthy to put all that weight on one person to do so much. And that commitment, you're right. That commitment is, is special. It's a, it's a special feeling that you have, but because you're putting all your eggs in one person's basket, right? Like as being like your everything, mm-hmm. it's both like this, like a really strong bond, but it's also very like crippling in, to your independence. It can be. And I've heard a lot of people that are in like committed relationships saying that like they don't have enough time for themselves or they like I had one couple that's been together for six years that they're trying to find ways to like be more independent of one another because they have become so interconnected in their everyday life. So I think that you like if you value that sense of autonomy, like especially like I do, you if someone has that romantic love towards you or you have romantic love with somebody like it could almost be crippling if they become your everything if you become like every kind of emotional support you have does that make sense where i'm getting at right here um i i get what you're i'm i'm confused by the link like how does this link back i guess about why you don't necessarily need to have romantic love with somebody yes because you don't need to have romantic love with somebody because often if you do that's because they that strong commitment can take you away from other people that you have in your life, a, a better support system that could be, yeah, a superior support system, basically. Does that make sense? Like, because basically I'd rather have like 10 people around me that can fulfill the role of a girlfriend than one girlfriend. Yeah. But isn't that mistaking the kind of people's motivation? Cause we talked about how people are either motivated are mainly motivated for relationships to kind of have that one person fill the role, right? And right. We kinda, I think we agreed on this, but I was kind of under the impression that we don't think that's actually people wanting love. That's people wanting a relationship. Yes, yeah. And, oh, I see. So you're you're changing the question to people wanting love? Yeah, I'm like, what? Because I basically said, because um, I asked why is that a problem that people decide to go after a relationship instead of actually wanting love, right? Is that kind of was the basis of this question? Like, what's the ethical implications of this? Like, is this problematic? Right. And I said it's not I problematic. I that properly, but I, I said it's not problematic because I think as, like we're social creatures, and I think what's more important than love is community. And so, I would rather have community than love. Anytime. So. Okay, so, but with the relationship, to establish a relationship solely so you can have community, don't you agree that that's problematic then? I don't know how you would do that. Wait, what do you, what do you mean? Like, well, a, like establish a relationship with a friend or a romantic relationship? Yeah, if you like establish a relationship with a friend solely because you want them to be able to be that support system you want, isn't that problematic? Because then you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Or are you saying that you can do both and still maintain all your relationships? What is the doing both? Where you can have like a sense, like the 10 people that are your community, 
that is your community and then also have a girlfriend on top of that that you don't love but they meet other needs that the other yes i believe you can do it that way okay so hmm. go ahead no i i i yeah, I'm gonna. I got a little bit lost. I think over the past couple of minutes, what was the so? Yeah, yeah. Explain to me why you disagree that that's problematic. So I think it's problematic. Hmm. See, when a phrase like that, I don't think it's really problematic. But I think it's kind of redundant to do. Okay. And the reason why is that you're making a huge commitment to someone. That doesn't meet any unique need. Is the romantic relationship that you're establishing in my, in my theory. Yes, in the situation where you have ten people plus an additional one relationship, they don't meet a unique need. So, are you really that? No, that's the thing. That's the that's the beauty of my strategy is they they do meet a need. They don't meet all the needs. So, like those folks, like I have ten well, people around me. They don't meet a unique need. Um, like a need that no one else meets. No, they do. That's the, the only, see, that's the beauty of like, I think this is kind of why we're talking similar. We were talking similarly about this. It's just that you were saying like, I only get into a relationship with, with someone if I can see the route to loving them, like romantic or friendship. Mm-hmm. I only add someone to my social circle if I think that they're going to be like, if they're going to be a value to having in my community. And like, and like, yes, that, that like does involve like a feeling of like, strong a strong connection with them like so if it's a romantic relationship i would only add them in if they like are going to be a good addition to the people i have around me to my community and that like not just concerning me that's concerning my friends and family too like i'm only going to bring someone into my cir- circle if they're going to be a good fit into the mac community you know and yeah so they're going to fit some needs they're not going to fit all of them one of the leads one of the needs they might not fit is love and i think that you can have like like a, like, I could live with that person. I could like have the relationship role, not be in love with them, and basically go the whole my whole life without like, having that romantic sense of love. Speaking as someone who's yeah. never felt a romantic sense of love, I, think, I don't. I don't know what I'm missing out on. Yeah, let me think of that. I know one of your beliefs that we talked about is how you kind of don't want to mess things up if you're happy. I know that's sure. kind of. I know it's not very relevant, but do you think that's a factor to your perspective? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, why would you want to be, why would you want to be unhappy when you're already as happy as you could be? Okay. Hmm. Let me think of that. So the only reason that I would add somebody in is if they could make me happier. And the only reason that you would like date somebody new when you're already dating somebody is because you think that they could be a better match or you think there's a better option out there like when we were talking about this trading up thing you didn't think it was good and i kind of that, that didn't like really set well with me because like you shouldn't just be committed with somebody that you don't think is like is the most you shouldn't be committed to someone just because like just because of the sake of commitment like you should be committed to someone because you think that you can love them the most and so if you see somebody else that you can love more then you should break up and like go approach, like go try to make a relationship with that person. Does that make sense? Mm. See, that's a weird position to take. So my my topic is that this doesn't sound like love when you're talking about it. Like this doesn't sound like a loving relationship. It sounds like a market transaction. I know. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very rational and very cold and scientific. Even when we're talking about like, oh yeah, my friends need to meet certain needs. Um, so I guess. My... Well, I mean, yeah, that. I mean, obviously, I have strong feelings towards my friends, but yeah. I, I think I'm removing feelings from my argument because my argument relies on the fact that there is, it's there doesn't need to be love, you know, like it. Yeah, be, so I did. I just removed feelings from the argument, kind of made it like rational, like this. That way, you could. It could be, like, clearer, you know? Mm -hmm. See, I think there's this factor of the ethics of care 
that needs to be taken into account, right? And mm-hmm. are you familiar with the ethics of care? Uh, yeah, give me a quick reminder. Okay, so basically there's normal ethics, which is like, what should you do in response to like the trauma dilemma where like you might have kill one person or kill three people. Um, one's like a doctor, one's just three other people. Um, that's like an ethical dilemma. But the ethics of care is basically saying, instead of what should you do, it's how do you respond? And it's basically this question of like, there's ethics, right? But then there's this other obligation you have to show that you actually care about someone on a deeper level. Um, the best analogy I have to kind of give you an understanding is um, the dad situation, where you can have a dad who feeds you, houses you, um, clothes you, does, meets all your basic needs, but that doesn't mean he loves you, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Like, you can have like these relationships where like they do all their obligations, but they're still not doing enough because there's something more. Like he's not like a bad dad because he fed you and did all he met all his obligations, but he's lacking in another another aspect, and that is in the ethics of care. Okay. Right. And I think yeah, I think this perspective of does this person meet certain needs of mine, or like that whole like outlook on a relationship is contradictory to the ethics of care. Well, I don't think so because like needs can be the need for care. Like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't trying to exclude like emotional support. I, in fact, I kept on saying like emotional support, like uh, those people like give you that kind of like emotional support and like caring, you know, like I think emo- like giving someone emotional support is like a great example of caring. So like yeah, one of the I needs think, that they're fulfilling the is that need of care. I think the problem is with the eye of it. Oh, so you're saying that I'm not getting any back. I'm just taking. Kind of. But I don't want to use like yeah. you specifically because I know you're a very caring person, Matt. Like I know you're a good guy. But I Thanks. think within this logical framework that we're talking about, that perspective is only taken and not given. Yeah. I had been talking about it kind of in that way because you have uh, people around you. Those people might not necessarily like you might be like the focal point of that community right like Mm -hmm. at least from your own perspective you're kind of like the center of it or you can see your community from the perspective of you yeah and i was focusing on other people as kind of like inputs to you because we were talking about adding another person in and so like another person was gonna have to join this uh this community around you and and it is like community is inherently a like it has mutual interactions. So like the only reason that you're going to stay in somebody else's life and have them be a part of your life is if you're reciprocating, mm-hmm. like you have to like be like caring and you have to like provide something to those other people or they're not going to be part of your life. You, you don't get to like, just like make a lineup like you're like doing fantasy football or something of like, I want this person on my team, this person, this person's a starter, but this person's on my bench. Like you can't just like lay out like, your lineup and then have those people just like respond to you on your wishes. Like it's a interconnected, like it's an interconnected community. People can choose and leave as they go. So like you don't lack when you're building this community, you don't lack caring. In fact, you, you must have it in order for it to happen. Yeah. And I agree with all of that. Okay. Now I think if we look at things from that perspective, do you think – I don't think that people will actually want to care about that kind of person, if that makes sense. Really? Yeah, I think if you come into a relationship and you say, I'll care about you if you care about me and do all these needs for me, I don't think people want to be around that. I think they're very – Really? Yeah, I do. Well, but I mean – I mean, not to make it personal, but I feel like since I'm that kind of person and you want me, like, it seems like you want me around in your life and I, like, enjoy your company and want you around in my life, it seems like maybe it's because I'm talking about it in such a cold way. That... I don't think of that our relationship is transactional, though. Like, I don't think, like, oh, I'm, like, putting in time and eventually you'll pay me back, you know? Right. Like, I think if you didn't care about me, I think you're a cool enough dude that I'd want to hang out with you anyway. 
Wait, what did you say? I think I think you're a cool enough dude that I want to hang out with you anyway. Like, I don't think it's like. I don't. I think personally, I don't act out of the expectation that I will get reciprocation. If that makes right. sense. Right. Like I'm yeah. not like oh if I'm like if I'm a good friend to Matt, he'll be a good friend to me. I'm just like Matt's a cool dude. I want to spend time with him. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, to like break it down, I, I it's. I'm using my argument, right? I'm using my my model, my understanding, and it it seems like really I can't think of the word for it, but like I'm gonna break it down to it again. Like I'm meeting the need of like your need of of interest. Like you think I'm a cool dude, thank you, but like you're you want to be around me for those reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's a need that I'm meeting for you. So like. I'm looking at this uh, like through a transactional lens. Like it is a limited way to look at the world and it's limited just like if you were to make an economic model of, you know, relationships, but I am meeting a need for you and you Mm -hmm. meet needs for me. You're right. There's no like expectation of like reciprocity. Like I'm not doing it because you're going to pay me back for it, but like you're doing it because you get an enjoyment out of my company in the now and mm. i get it because i enjoy your company in the now like oh, there's no like long term perspective of um what is it absolute egoism i think it's called or no matter what you do you gain some benefits yeah i think i do kind of think that way a lot of the times okay so i guess my next question is if i would you still want to be friends with me if i didn't meet your need then like, would you still be interested in having a relationship with someone if they didn't meet any of your needs? Would you ever enter that relationship? Uh, this comes out of me just enter that relationship or maintain that relationship? Hold on. Uh, either. Okay. Enter, no. Maintain, yes. And that's because communities, like interconnect so i like i might have a friend who i'm not super strong friends with anymore like i don't really get much from being around them mm-hmm. and they're friends with all my friends and they're still important like all their social ties all their like emotional support is like interconnected with people that i have around me so there's no like avoiding them they're gonna be around and like they're gonna you know and they need they have like a need for that like people in my friend group or me are meeting. And so I may not, I would still keep that person around as a friend, but it would be more because they need me as a friend than I need them as a friend. Mm, So almost like they're grandfathered in or because you care about them. It's because I think that it's just like it, if you're like somebody's only friend and you break off that relationship, that can be like destroying, you know? If, imagine if you had one friend and that friend left you because you weren't a good friend to them. I think that you should still like be there for that person because like if if you go the whole world without anybody, then that's going to be terrible. Like you should still be there for somebody. It's like not like out of charity. That's a terrible like, but like sort of like I guess you could think about it that way. I really enough disagree. You you really disagree? weirdly enough like i think it's like i think we're in a weird way on opposite side now (laughs) okay i don't think i don't think you should be kind to people well i think you should like treat people with a basic level of dignity just because it's the right thing to do but i don't think you should offer friendship out of like an obligation almost That, that sounds like an obligation to me and i don't want to be friends with someone out of an obligation i want to be friends with people because i I want to be friends with them. Like I want to love someone because I want to, not because I feel obligated to. You want to, or do you think it's best for the other person? I think I want to. And in regards to what's best for the other person, I think if they're doing stuff that makes all their friends leave them and I'm the only one left, I think they should change their behavior. And I think me staying there enables their behavior. So I think it's Uh. best for the other person too. We drifted to start talking about friendships and not romantic relationships, but I, I disagree. I don't think people change in a, in a vacuum. I don't think people change without having a helping hand around them to kind of 
lead them in the right direction. So if somebody like if all their friends left them because they're being, you know, a bad person and you're still sticking around them and like trying to be there for them, they're going to be like going through a really hard time because all their friends are leaving them. and They're not having good friends anymore. And it's probably because of something that they're doing that's causing them to go away. But you can be a good force in their life and kind of help lead them to like a better life or lead them to making new friends. And then you can, and then you can leave. And then once you like make sure that they can like, you know, overcome this like hardship of losing a lot of friends and, and like you can be the emotional support for them for the time being, but like you're also like helping guide them to being like overcoming their flaws. So that way they can like be like have strong relationships again. I think that's an important role that you can play in somebody else's life. And you're right. You you might not be gaining as much out of it, but you got to think about like the common good or like the collective good. You know, this person was part of their community, your community. Like you did like him at some point, you should, you, you should be there for them. Just like if, if, if you were in their shoes, like you'd want somebody like that to help you along. See, I think there's value in hitting rock bottom. I don't. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in it. And that could be just something we just fundamentally disagree with. Yeah. Uh, the main story I like to think, this could just be anecdotal. Like, I don't have to say yeah. but, but, like, Robert Downey Jr., he has this mm-hmm. story about um, how he was, you know, he was, he had a huge drug problem. Um, right. But he had this story where he was in Burger King, and he was eating this burger that was so disgusting. He was like, I need to get out of this. Like, this is not where I want to be. And he was <laughs> rock bottom moment. And he went into rehab and he came back. The, the pro, that's a good story. Uh, and there, I think there's some value to rock bottom, like hitting rock bottom. But I think that there's a real problem in that we often only hear about the people that are winners that come out of those situations. And we also tend to glorify that uh, of like kind of like that meritocracy, like aspect that's really strong in our culture right that Mm -hmm. they came from nothing and they they came to the top like it's a real like kind of born again like it's a real born again story and you really like you might hear about one out of every hundred people that actually like make it you know other people end up like just in this spiral of and into terribleness and if you are one person if you're the one person's friend keeping them from a spiral into being like a drug addict, like you should be there for that person and keep them. You should be their safety net for lack of a better term, like be there for them. And like, that's good for like that person. And like, if everybody treated each other that way, then, then it would, the world would be a better place. But isn't that the same thing then? Cause they're in that direction of rock bottom already. If they've lost all your friend, all their friends, but you, yeah, and so you keep them from rock bottom. You, you, I mean, they could get rock bottom and just stay there. Mm. So isn't that just the same as a comeback story, though? Because you don't want them to just stay at that point where they just have you as one friend. Right? No, and they won't. And that's, like, you have to be, like, it's a, like, you're working at it. Like, you know, like, it's, like, you got to, like, be talking to this person honestly and frankly and, like, say, look, like, I know I'm, like, you're one friend, but, like, there's some things about yourself that, are leading people away from you or like we need to work like, or like taking them out and introducing them to people, like giving them the opportunity to make other friends. Like, like you're like, it's, it's not a job, but like, you're like, you gotta have this, like be an active goal of yours to like help this person out. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of Kant's categorical imperatives? Uh, yes, but I don't know them off the top of my head. Okay. So it's basically, I'm just going to make the general idea of that. Um, I want to use this as an analytic of your position in regards to what if everyone did this? Mm -hmm. Whenever they saw one of their friends hit rock bottom, they only had one friend left. They come in and be friends with them still. Don't you think that's problematic if everyone has friendship with people just to make sure they don't hit rock bottom? And wouldn't that mean that no one would leave them and thus their bad behavior never changes? No. I don't think that I, I literally was just trying to give the example of like, I think that bad behavior is not changed when you hit rock bottom, like mm. bad behavior. Like you don't under, like if you don't have somebody to point out your flaws, which is a role of a friend and my, or at least a role of my friendships, not in everybody's friendships, not, not everybody has that level of honesty, honestly, but 
Yeah. If if you're not there to have somebody that can point out your flaws or can like help support you while you try to make a change in your life, which can be really difficult. Like I think it's way, way easier to make changes before you hit rock bottom. So I think, yes, the, like the categorical imperative, like everybody would be better off if everybody did this. <laughs> mm. But sad is that it's kind of sucks for you that you're doing something wrong. What'd you say? Isn't losing a friend a kind of unspoken indication that you're doing something wrong? No. Mm. No, it, and that's so how like, and that's how you end up with incel friends. culture. That's how you end up with like these kind of like toxic environments that are really hard to get out of, where like no one likes me, and it's because everybody else has a problem. And it's really mm-hmm. easy once you get other people around you that don't have a strong connection with you to like you're kind of vulnerable. You can be open to those like radical ideas and you end up like you end up in a culture that can be very negative and very like constricting and and because you don't have anybody else that's like a strong voice in your life a strong friend like you're kind of at a loss you know you're Mm. stuck all right, I think I think we explored this topic. I think it was a good conversation. Yeah, we um, really kind of left the romantic relationship side of things, and maybe that's because I can't speak to it from personal experience. But hey, I think love is love. Like I think romantic relationship versus friendship. I think there's a minor distinction between the two. I think all <laughs> love is the same. No, so, so I think that, I that does. I think that supports my community theory. But I know we're kind of at the end of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, we have like about 10 minutes or so so i okay. wanted to talk about this one last idea and then we can try to plug our social media stuff sure. um of do you think that we are in disequilibrium in what way do you think the dating market is in some kind of like there's a problem with it right now like there's some kind of market failure like we're not actually allocating relationships efficiently or do you think we should even like look at it like that like is that like a bad analysis? Is that a bad framework to evaluate? Dating has changed a lot over the past hundred years, over the past ten years, over the past five years. With yeah. like, you know, the the emergence of Tinder and like Netflix and chill kind of culture. Yeah, like hookup culture. Yeah, and I don't think that there's any well no, I don't think it's hookup culture, because I think if you look at young people today, like they hook up much less than people in previous generations. That's the research I've yeah, seen. I, read, yeah. I also read that Tinder isn't actually good for getting more hookups. Yeah. Like people on Tinder, it doesn't boost how much sex you're having. It only boosts the sex people who have lots of sex have. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think, uh, well, first of all, I think we have a high bar for like what, dating should be like and it's a, hard, a high bar that's hard to meet it's because it's not being a casual thing that like that's it, it ends up being a big deal and it kind of can put people off in like this kind of large obstacle that they have to overcome like a first date can be very intimidating you know mm-hmm. and i think in the past and like and maybe this is just kind of me looking at it through you know like what used to be, you know, but I feel like in the past, like dating was a lot less of a big deal. And you, uh, you did it with a lot more people. You really like, you know, you just like in the 1950s or whatever, I don't know why I think of this, but like someone would go like knock on whoever's door and say like, Hey, I want to take you out. And then they like, they take them out, they come back. And that just like happened more often. Like Mm. it was, it was more personal. It was more like in like face to face, you know? And yeah, I don't want to like compare cultures, but I think that one of the downsides is that because of social media and like, this is kind of getting onto like, you know, shaky ground here, but because of social media, we see people at their best a lot. And we see couples mm-hmm. at their best a lot, looking happy, doing good coupley romantic things. And if you're sitting alone, single, and seeing that all the time, barraged by it, like Valentine's Day is coming up, this is going to be like a perfect time for people to kind of feel lonelier. It's yeah, going to kind of be very tough. It, yeah, it's going to be kind of, uh, it's going to be kind of discouraging and 
daunting to try to like enter the dating realm and you might be doing it out of more out of like a feel of a feeling of necessity than of a feeling of, of wanting, you know, of like just wanting to kind of like go through that. I love the experience of the first date. It's mm-hmm. one of like, I, I mean, I haven't been in like a long-term relationship with anybody, but it's one of my, my favorite things to do is to go on a first date with somebody. And so I just like actively search out first dates. And I think I'm one of the few people in the world that's, or not world, but like one of the few people out there that just like is out there trying to do that. You know, that's like my, my goal right now is to go on a lot of first dates. So mm. I think that that's not the culture right now. I think people are a little bit overwhelmed and it's kind of scary. And yeah, what do you have to say about that? I think there's definitely a problem of too many options. Really? Right? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, no matter who you are, there's someone better than you, right? Right. Like, if I, like, found a girl and I was like, hey, Matt, she's really pretty, she's really smart, she's funny, I bet if you waited, like, a year, you could find someone better. Right. Right. So it's almost like, why would you ever make that commitment at all? Like, even for, like, the first date, because the first date implies a second date, which implies a third date, and at some point you either call it off, which is awkward and no one wants to do, or you end up in a long-term relationship. So why not wait until you find the perfect one and then just have casual hookups? And I think that's kind of where the market is right now. And I think that's kind of what the problem is. Do you agree? Uh, Not really. I think that a lot of times people don't have that mentality of like, there's probably somebody better. I think people settle a lot more often than you would expect based on like, I don't think there's perfect information out there in the market. I don't think that we know that there's so many other alternatives that could be better than the person you're already matched up with. So I would disagree on that. And I guess maybe I have too high of standards. <laughs> I <laughs> problem, not an everyone problem. <laughs> You've, I mean, it's a good thing to have high standards, but it also, yeah, it also can be kind of constricting that you don't, uh, you might not settle down or you might not go on those first dates as often. But you'll probably yeah. find someone that you like to the max, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I guess we're out of time now. So, Matt, do you want to plug any of your social media or anything? Yeah, I guess follow Matt underscore travel underscore Insta. That's my travel Instagram. I post something like every two days. Uh, just kind of like, you know, funny things. Only if you want to. Uh, if you want to see who I am or like, you know, what my East Coast couch surfing is going to be like. But, yeah, I'm going to Boston tomorrow. So if you're in the Boston area, hit me up. I'm looking for fun things to do. All right. And you can um, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Poetry Bros, all one word. Um, it's my new poetry account I just made. That's that cool. was supposed to be anonymous. But I really liked all the likes I was getting. And I was like, <laughs> I want more likes. So funny. Feed my ego. <laughs> All right, this is this has been fun. So let's uh, kind of wrap it up, um, and like and review my podcast. And if you have any opinions on whether or not love should be reciprocal, or whether it can exist in the market, or anything on our podcast at all, or what we talked about, leave a comment and let's talk about it. All right. Bye, everybody.